for the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Michael Sean Duger, who covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic, as part of our scope into what's going on in the NFC West ahead of the 49ers starting off the 2021 NFL campaign. Michael covers the Seahawks, and we can talk to him a little bit about Chris Carson. We can talk Rashad Penny. We can talk Russell Wilson, his future with the team. We can also talk about how the Seahawks stack up against maybe the best division in the NFL, the NFC West. All things we can talk to Michael Sean Duger about, who joins me next. Today is Wednesday, August 18th. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Michael Sean Duggar, covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic, also does a podcast, the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. Uh, how you doing today, Michael? Good to have you on, man. I'm doing good. I got I got, I got. to start off with corrections. Dugar. 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 I'm sorry about that, man. Michael nice Sean trick. Dugar. Mike Dugar on Twitter, at Mike Dugar. Uh, make sure you give him a follow for all your Seahawks news this season. I want to start off, I guess, with something just sort of general about the NFC West. We were talking to uh, Jordan Rodrigue the other day who covers the uh, LA Rams for The Athletic, and we were kind of talking about how the Rams, the 49ers, and the Seahawks, we believe at this juncture, all have the same goal for the season. They've all got Super Bowl aspirations. I think the Cardinals are looking to get off the schneid, get back into the postseason, but where do you think the Seahawks stack up with the powers that be in the NFC West after the offseason where they've switched offensive coordinators. They've got Russell Wilson talking about moving on. They've got a running back battle going on. What's going on with the Seattle Seahawks? What's their outlook for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think all three of those teams, the lens in which you view them really just depends on how much benefit of the doubt you want to give them because they all have legitimate questions. For the Seahawks, it's not as much personnel. I guess it is at corner. Then they have the best safety duo. But for the Seahawks, it's more like a internal thing. Like, are Pete Russ and Shane Waldron going to get along? And how is that going to look? Do you give that the benefit of the doubt? I think with the Rams, you upgrade a quarterback clearly, but you lose your DC. That kind of was transform that defense and you lose some pretty important players I think specifically John Johnson and then uh, with the Niners I mean you got to give Jimmy G the benefit of the doubt and like the Niners to know what they're doing with their quarterback situation but like from a talent perspective Seattle's got the same advantage they had last year when they won a division they're gonna have a really good pass rush I'm including Jamal Adams in that even if they don't have the best D-line they're gonna have the best one of the best pass rushes that'll probably be be consistent this year as well they'll have the best quarterback that's probably not a debate if Chris Carson stays healthy they'll probably have one of the better uh, run games they'll probably have the third best O-line behind the Niners and the Rams that probably hasn't changed they'll have the receiver advantage every week with Tyler and DK that probably hasn't changed um so like a lot of the stuff is still the same it's really just going to be who has healthy bodies who has their healthy quarterback most importantly and like who I think has the best the best O-line like Seattle skated by with like the third best O-line and was able to win a division. But you can do that when Andrew Whitworth gets hurt, right? And then you have all the problems that everyone basically just died on the Niners uh, by like week two. So like it's, it's going to be a war of attrition, I think. But from a talent perspective, Seattle's roster looks just as good as everyone else's. And they have some advantages, some really premium spots. I think that's really important is minus cornerback. That's like the hole in their roster compared to everyone else's. I think that's totally a fair assessment, being that the the Seahawks have returned so many of their players. Yeah, the Rams expect to be there, but they've switched quarterbacks. They've switched a little bit of their offense over the last couple of years. And the 49ers, while the roster looks more healthy, it looks more talented, jury's still out. they still got to get on the field and, and make it happen. So you're right. I think you give some benefit of the doubt, but the Seattle Seahawks, as the incumbent champion of the NFC West, I think, roll in as the favorite to win the division. You mentioned Shane Waldron earlier, who comes over as a former assistant with the LA Rams. He's going to be the offensive coordinator. You know, a couple of years back when 
they move on from uh, from Marshawn Lynch, and he's no longer the stud running back. There was the Legion of Boom. It was a hard running game. Russell Wilson could obviously command the offense, and then he became like an MVP candidate. Still a guy who's not getting MVP votes, but an MVP-type player, it seems like, every single year. What kind of impact is Shane Waldron going to have on the offense, and are we going to see a, a switch in how this, this offense is run just based on, you mentioned the big receivers. You've still got a physical runner in Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas still hanging around. What do you make of this offense and what Shane Waldron's going to bring? I mean, that's probably the most important variable, I think, for the Seahawks. I mentioned the other variables for, like, the Niners quarterback situation. I mean, Rams was quarterback, too, actually. Hell, the Cardinals is kind of quarterback and head coach over there. But it's like, what is this going to look like? Because coordinators here don't really have that much autonomy. Not to say that they're entirely puppets, but, like, Pete Carroll controls the offense. Pete Carroll controls the defense. That's just kind of what it is. It's his brand of football. And every time it does not look like his brand of football, the OC gets fired. I mean, that's happened like three times now. Forget who the guy was he fired in 2010 in the name of Daryl Bevel. Fired Daryl Bevel in 2017. They were throwing the ball like crazy. Fired Shoddy in 2020. They were throwing the ball like crazy. Just history repeats itself, I'm inclined to believe. So I'm thinking that if that it's going to go, like I put it this way. After they got rid of Daryl Bevel in 2017, in 2018, they had the most run-heavy offense in the league. Like they were more run-heavy than any team since like the Tebow Broncos, right? Like there was a lot of overcorrecting that happened in that season. And I could kind of see something similar happening this year. At least if the, if Pete has his wish, they're not going to be running the veer uh, or anything like that, or the wishbone. But I do think you're going to see a regression in some of their like passing frequency. You just have to, because that's just kind of how Pete is. Like those defensive coaches, like Pete, Mike Zimmer, I would say falls in this category as well. Those guys, they're kind of risk averse naturally. So like the idea of being like a Chip Kelly Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, let's move this thing and fly and throw it. It's like, no, that, that scares them. In their head, they want to talk about analytics, in their head, throwing the ball is inherently more costly than running the ball, right? There are more positive outcomes with running than there are negative outcomes. And the opposite is true, they believe, with passing. I'm inclined to believe that we won't see much of like a Shane Waldron staple at first. We'll notice more of a Pete Carroll uh, staple at first, because at the end of the day, he is the guy in charge of the offense. It's just Shane's job to run it in a way that is not only explosive and dynamic, but makes him happy. Because, you know, Shia didn't get fired because the offense stink. He got fired because the offense didn't look how Pete wanted it to look. And that's a really important distinction. You don't really see that with offensive coordinators that often. Does that play into the... I don't want to say displeasure or anger or, or being being mad, but we heard these rumors over the offseason about Russell Wilson potentially wanting to trade. It seemed like maybe there was some truth to that. Is he a guy who wants to air it out more? Does he want to put up bigger offensive numbers? I imagine he looks around the league at, at guys like Patrick Mahomes, at guys like you know Trey Lance is getting drafted. You mentioned just a minute ago Kyler Murray, some of these big-arm quarterbacks who are airing it out. And I'm with you. I understand that you know a run-first offense. That's why we see high school teams run the wishbone. And, and you know Army-Navy, it seems like all they do is run the ball every single single year because throwing it there's there's more variables and, and more things that can go wrong where does Russell Wilson come down on this does he appreciate this style of offense does he want a more wide open offense he's got big guys like DK down the field now what happens with him and, and and how does he feel about this offensive system today first and foremost Russ does want to win if the veer was the best way to do it then he would do it he doesn't care that much I mean, this is a guy who went to the divisional round his first year won the Super Bowl his second year went to the Super Bowl his third year he expects to be there you know, that's why he was so upset at the Super Bowl, because it was like, I lost the Super Bowl six years ago to Tom Brady. Here I am in a suit next to Goodell, 
and Brady's here winning again. Why can't I do that? You know, there was a lot at play with how frustrated he looked at the Super Bowl. Russ realizes that, look, we won Super Bowl. We got into another one doing it Pete's way, right? Like, we ran it. That's what it was. We haven't gotten close since. Let's try another way. Let's let me cook. Let's put it on my shoulders. And if we fail, we fail. But it, I don't. at least he doesn't have to what if, like, what if I got to cook earlier? You know, that was the problem in those their loss to Green Bay in the 2019 playoffs and their loss to Dallas in the 2018 playoffs. It was the idea, Russ coming out of those games, like, what if I was able to do me earlier, not save our butt in the fourth quarter like I'm so frequently asked to do and delivers, by the way. So I think that's where kind of Russ is at. Like, okay, we did your way, man. Like, we've given it a shot. We've won a lot of games. We haven't won the game in quite a while. So why don't we put it on my shoulders? I'm not 2014 Russ anymore. You can put it on my shoulders. Give me the weapons. Give me the O-line. And I will go make it happen. And if we fail, that's fine. We failed your way. Let's try and see if we fail or succeed my way. Trying to budge on that, I think, was at the root of the frustrations with Russ and management. Have they smoothed that out? Both of them will tell you that they have. But, I mean... They wouldn't tell us if they hadn't, uh, so I don't really <laughs> put much stock in that. But they'll tell you both that they're in a better place now. Russ said he had a heart-to-heart with Pete over the offseason. I guarantee you that was at the core of it, man. It's like, if you put it on my back and, and I fail, then that's, you know, I'll, I can accept that as a man. You put it on somebody else's back and we fail, now I'm pissed. That's the balance that Pete Carroll, Shane Waldron, and Russell Wilson have to find, and that's going to define the 2021 season. It's like when you play the, uh, the the NFL like suicide football pools or the survivor pools every year, and you uh, you go down with the Texans like week three, but you're sitting there with the Seahawks and the the better teams. You haven't fired them yet. You're like, man, let me fire my guys before we start going the other route. Before we have to start taking risks. On the way out here, Michael, I want to ask your opinion, man, about the the final standings in the NFC West. Give me your projection right now, headed into preseason week two. How does it stack up? How do the four teams rank at the end of the year? Rams, Niners, Seahawks, and Cardinals. What's the uh, what's the status one to four? Man, that's tough. Right now, I think the Rams are really good. I think Sean is making a case to be in maybe the best coach in the division. I think it's still Pete. I go Rams by a hair. Honestly, they could easily have the same record and just have a tiebreaker. I could I could see that too. So I'd probably go Rams, Seahawks, Niners, and I really just don't believe in the Cardinals. I mean, Cliff is through two years now, maybe that he's had Kyler has shown. I think the reasons why he we were all very puzzled as to how he failed up you know like it wasn't like he was killing it at texas tech he got canned right and and failed into a promotion and i think for many reasons we were like very puzzled by that both like because of the history of the hiring process in the nfl and just like this college coach is killing it you know like why get the guy who was like barely good at texas tech and I think we're seeing that with their offense, man. It's just not very creative. It's not very fun. It doesn't seem to maximize the talents that they have, and they have some talents. So I'm not so I could see them winning like five games, six games, or something like that. I mean, look at their roster. They have the best roster that the, that 2015 cap space can buy. Like it's really strange how they just decided to pluck whoever's left from the 2011 draft and throw them out there, uh, <laughs> and, and and think that that's gonna like work over a 17 game season. I just don't. I don't see the logic there. So, yeah, I'm not sold on them. But at the top, I think it's very clear who A, B, and C are, and then I think the Cardinals are a little further behind. And you mentioned it, man, 17-game season. Five wins would put them at 5 and 12. Something we got to get used to, Michael. So, hey, man, I appreciate the time, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up when you get up to town uh, in the Bay Area when the Seahawks and the 49ers square off later this season. Then we'll talk to you again maybe when, uh, when the Niners go up to Seattle. Appreciate the time today, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. 
Great stuff from Michael. And shortly thereafter, we recorded that uh, Jamal Adams of the Seattle Seahawks signed a $70 million extension with the Seahawks. Seemed like an obvious thing that had to happen after the draft picks they gave up to get him up to Seattle. you got to keep him in-house if you're going to make that move. And also, if you've got Super Bowl aspirations, especially against some of the great teams in the NFC West, the breakdown we got from the Rams, the 49ers, and of course, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals, even if you don't have them as a a six-win team, they're still a dangerous team to go up against in the NFC. Thank you to Michael. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. On Friday, we'll get back into some baseball. It's the Bay Bridge Series from the Oakland Coliseum. The Giants are cruising out to Oakland to take on one of the best teams in the American League. Is it a World Series preview? The A's still got an uphill battle in that division. The Giants holding on to first place in the National League West. Everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Friday.